Hello, HVAC On Air listeners. We are back again today for another episode of our What's New with Regs edition with Jennifer. We're very excited to have you back, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Lindsay? Good. And you brought another guest with us today. I did. We love guests around here. That's awesome. So episode four, we always have fun titles with this. You know, regulations aren't all that exciting, so we have to add some of our own excitement. Spicing it up. Yep. So EPA snap rules, on again, off again, on again, question mark, question mark. I mean, really, it's hard to know what's going on here. But before I get too far into that, let's introduce our guest. We're joined today by Don Gillis. He's a lead instructor with Emerson's Educational Services. You may have read his recent RSES article on the fundamentals of CO2 refrigeration or watched his recent compressor facts and troubleshooting video on the HVAC school. Um, Hi, Don. Well, hi, Jennifer. Hi, Lindsay. How are you today? Hello. Welcome to the show. We're doing well. Thank you very much. I'm a big fan of both you, so I appreciate you inviting me on today. We are excited to have you. Yeah, we are thrilled. So as I mentioned the title, you know, we try to spice this up a little bit, but really we're here to look at the U.S. response to um, phase down HFCs within the United States. We've touched a little bit on global policy in some previous episodes of why, like globally, we're moving to lower global warming potential refrigerants or lower GWP. I think we have to understand here in the U.S. how we're dealing with this. And I think it's important, too, that we not only focus on what the regulations are, but what are their practical impacts. And so, Don, that's why we're so happy to have you here today, because we know that you work closely with contractors and technicians as part of our education and training department. So, from the instructor-led courses, that's what I mainly do, by the way, to our e-learning courses, Emerson Educational Services, we play an integral part of the educating technicians in the theory and hands-on mechanical, obviously, but also, as we just talked about, the upcoming changes in our regulation, which is constantly changing, as you know, Jennifer Lindsay. We get into global warning going around. What I'm seeing right now, as we travel throughout the states, we travel about 40 weeks a year, is a lot of folks, especially down to the contractors and even the wholesalers, aren't really getting all the information they probably should need right now. So it's becoming a big part of our educational services right at this time. Good to know. Good to know. So hopefully we can help play a part in that education. Feel free to share this with other people who may need to listen to it because that's part of what we're here for and also provide feedback. If there's other additional topics that we could cover in podcast or some other aspect of sharing information, please, you know, let us know that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jennifer. For those of you that are listening, you can always find these episodes on AC-Heating Connect. There's a section at the bottom of the blog post where you are more than welcome to just drop us a line and leave some suggestions. We love topic suggestions, so please add those in. Yeah, or ask questions. Even if it's just a what you think is a simple question or something that you'd like more feedback on, If you're wanting to know the answer, there's lots of other people wanting to know the same answer. So please help us out in that way. So last time in the last episode, we left off with the question, what has the U.S. done to phase down HFCs or hydrofluorocarbons? And before I explain what we've done, I need to kind of explain a little bit of structure here in the U.S. So bear with me for just a few minutes. I'll try to keep this quick. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, is the group responsible in the U.S. for regulating refrigerants. And so, in response to the Montreal Protocol and phasing down HCFCs and CFCs, they established 
the Significant New Alternatives Policy Program, which we refer to around here as SNAP, and they also refer to it as SNAP. We just took their abbreviation because it's much shorter and easier to say. So they use this program to evaluate substitutes within a comparative risk framework. And what that means is that these substitutes, these refrigerants are not risk-free. They, they're not perfect solutions by any means. Sometimes, you know, we're gonna talk about flammability um, today and in future episodes, there's toxicity, ozone depletion as you know, kind of what we had focused on historically. So these refrigerants are not perfect, but comparatively, they're better than what we've had previously. And so in 2015, SNAP Rule 20 was released and then quickly followed by SNAP Rule 21. And the purpose of these two SNAP rules really was to phase out HFCs or to begin the phase out within the U.S. of these HFCs for those end uses that had some good alternatives available. And again, not perfect alternatives, but good. And so a lot of those were really focused on commercial refrigeration because they had some lower global warming potential refrigerants that were already available in the market and were also non-flammable. Recently, EPA has proposed SNAP Rule 23. Now this is dealing with AC and heat pump, also, a few additional commercial refrigeration end uses, 448, 449, and that medium temp self-contained. But really it's focused on these AC and heat pump refrigerants. And these solutions are mildly flammable. And so they're the A2L refrigerants, you know, that are coming in. So we're not gonna focus too much on that today, on these characteristics, that's gonna be a future podcast. So tune in for that. But really, Dawn, I wanna pull you into this conversation around SNAP Rule 20 and 21. So back in 2015 and 2016, on the commercial refrigeration side, how did the market or the industry technicians, contractors react when commercial refrigeration equipment that has historically used 404A was now going to be rolling out with something different? And maybe it wasn't a one size fits all replacement. So instead of one refrigerant, maybe we had four or five common refrigerants that were gonna replace 404A, which had kind of been the lion's share of the market, so to speak. How was that received? Yeah, great question. I remember it well, because again, this is a hot topic. The refrigerants right now as a whole, global warming as all. I listened to the CARB uh, podcast last night or webinar from California 7 last night. It was with the air, the clean air, but uh, what I was really amazed at, at was two things, most of all, how little the technicians knew about upcoming changes, but more so how interested they were about these changes. As a former HVACR technician in the field, you focus primarily on the everyday grind of repair or replace your source work. It doesn't leave a lot of time, if you will, to get into the industry things that are going on to you. I'm just being honest with you. So when we would start this discussion in the classroom, for example, uh, what we thought would take 10 or 15 minutes ended up taking an hour and 10, 15 minutes. People or contractors and technicians, wholesalers, were very, very interested and engaged in this conversation. Uh, even when I would go to schools or colleges, like in the summertime, and talk to their possible recruits, within five minutes of talking about it, I'm not exaggerating, ears were perked. Everybody was like, why aren't we hearing anything about this? So. There was a lot of conversation about 404A. Obviously, there's some concern there about what are we gonna do and how fast is it leaving and what have you. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of alternatives coming in place for that. So moving forward, we talk a lot about A2L, as you, you mentioned. 
and more and more and more I'm traveling with the CO2 trainer and R290 is getting a huge amount of traction in different areas. But yes, it is a hot topic right now and I think I don't think anybody's fearful of it. I think if I I mean, in my opinion from what I've witnessed, because I still feel like I'm a contractor in, in a lot of ways, I lived most of my life out of a truck. I really feel they're accepting it. No one seems to be concerned or scared of it. I think they're ready for it. I'm excited about it actually. You know, as refrigerants proliferate, or as we see multiple refrigerants and different end uses, you know, you said they're not really scared, but are there challenges that come along with that? I mean, obviously you've got more cylinders of different types on a truck or it's added complexity in general from having multiple refrigerants, but from a practical standpoint, is there really any concern there or challenges that as an industry we should be helping with? Absolutely. No, great question. They, there is concerns about that. The, the refrigerant tank is, is one that commonly gets brought up in the classroom and now there's talk. In fact, not, it's not talk. They're going to go to one color. It's all got gray tanks on a lot of refrigerants. So there's a lot of conversation about that and you're exactly right. When I started out in the industry, I think at the very beginning of my career, I was in the field almost just over 20 years, about 25. I think there was probably maybe five tanks of gas when I started, very started at the beginning. And now you have all these different refrigerants. So yeah, that is something that is being discussed. As far as the application, yeah, there's a lot of conversation about the different refrigerants, the 448 A, 449A, these, they're about the application, how they're, you know, the sizes of the coils and how they differ from the 404A. So yeah, there's a lot of conversation I think most technicians that come to training, first of all, are Emerson training anyways. Those are the type of people that stay on top of what they're doing. They seem to have a grasp on it. I don't see anybody that's really confused by it, but yes, there can be some growing pains. There's no doubt about that. But great question. Great. So, you know, in addition to these SNAP rules, the EPA also released revisions to its refrigerant management program. And what I mean by that is leak detection, record keeping, venting prohibitions, et cetera, that had applied to the ozone depleting substances previously, but they were extended to HFCs. And from what I've read, I was not in the industry at that time. I know you definitely were, but from what I have read and understood from you know basic conversations with other people, it was pretty well received. People kind of wanted a one size fits all refrigerant management program. What made sense for one tended to make sense for another. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that as well. Well, the technicians that I see, we talked about this before, that are more engaged or aware of these changes or the companies dealing with larger refrigerant chargers, let's say over the 50 pound threshold. Spoke to some people the other day, take for example, uh, the Kroger's of the world have a fantastic program about repairing equipment. Uh, they're not allowed to have refrigerant in a rack system until that leak is found and repaired. So it's a different world. It's a very sophisticated process that they do. A lot of leak detectors and bells and whistles, they keep their maintenance and, and their managing staff on top of their maintenance issues and allows them to monitor. They also document every detail. So it, it's a very complex system, but they're, they've had this system in place for some time. Now, if a new technician is just now taking their EPA 608 test today, they're probably way more in tune. Some of my son, for example, who's also a licensed journeyman, uh, like myself, 
through different exams years ago. Unfortunately, I feel that things are changing so often that it's a little overwhelming for the average tech and uh, who's in the truck. Trying to stay focused on the OSHA or being safe. Um, also contending with the weather, you know, the heat, the, 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 the cold outside, and not to mention repairing the equipment that they're in front of. And also preparing for the next fall. And in the summer months, even worse, because that's their busy time of the year, obviously. I almost feel that technicians and companies are doing their best to stay up on it, but I think they're also a little frustrated with the uncertainty of what the industry future holds with regulations and EPA. I think it's almost like they're saying, when you all figure it out, let us know. And of course, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not sure if that answered your question, not Jennifer, but I'm not sure there is a great answer. You know, nobody wants change. I know we're all a little bit funny about change. Some people accept it well. I think that's why, on a side note, and I do have a, I do like what we're going with natural improvements, so I'm kind of I'm a little biased in that area. It's not for everybody. But I think that's what I like about natural, talking about natural refrigerants, especially in supermarkets, because when we talk about natural refrigerants, hopefully we're talking about something, obviously CO2 is already in the air, something that we won't have to change. There's a lot of interest there. Because I think people are just, end users especially, are just, they're tired of every 10 or 15 years being told that this refrigerant now is going to become obsolete, if you will. So. And with all the carbon and EPA and all the things coming down the line that you're, that you're engaged in so much, Jennifer, it, it's a hot topic right now. That, that it is. Yeah, that's a, a great point and leads right into my next kind of thought, which was that, you know, we've talked on historically what was in place and what was established. But to your point, there has been a lot of change with that. In 2017, a court ruling came out that vacated part of SNAP Rule 20 and 21 at the federal level. And as a result, EPA, in response to that, said they weren't going to enforce those parts of SNAP Rule 20 and 21 as they applied to HFCs. And then they were sued again because they said, well, that was too overreaching of a response. That's not what the original court case said. So just recently, the court agreed with the plaintiff and So now it's back to the EPA to figure out how to handle it. So it's kind of been, this is why the title, you know, on again, off again, on again, question mark, we don't know. And and as another response out of that initial lawsuit was that EPA looked at the section 608 and said, maybe they don't have the authority to regulate HFCs in a broad context. And so they had to roll back some of the leak repair, or, or they did roll back, I shouldn't say, I don't know if they had to, but they did roll back some of the leak repair provisions. So it has been in the last several years, a constantly moving target. And as a result, we've seen several states step up. And I think that's our focus for our next episode here is what's the state activity? From a practical standpoint, if I just implemented all this money, whether it's to update training programs or to train my technicians, and then I feel like I have to roll part of that back and then maybe I'm gonna have to put part of it back in place. Like that's pretty cumbersome. Yeah, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Just for example, the first DO2 training we did was in line with AHR last year, 2019. Andre Patton, uh, a good friend of all of ours, guess who we have it the day after. He wanted to be a part of that to observe and send the class. To my surprise, my surprise anyways, when we showed up for that class with the trainer for two days, what I thought would be a lot of technicians in Atlanta uh, that work with DO2 
ended up being a lot of end users. I mean, like 80% of the class was like store owners. Wow, um, wow. Chemical engineers in there, you know. So everybody's curious, uh, again, what's going on, just to try to get to the bottom of where are we headed with this thing. Just tell us where we're going with it, because there's a lot of uncertainty generation now. Some of the PowerPoints, I started out three years ago, almost to the day with Emerson to start delivering some of these courses. And when it comes to regulations, our slides, our PowerPoints are getting longer and longer, and the dates are changing. And like you said, on again, off again. And now we have the, what, U.S. Climate Alliance. So it, it can be a little confusing, something you definitely have to stay up on. I enjoy looking into it, and I try to keep the uh, contractors engaged in it. And again, I don't think I'm pulling your leg when I, I'm saying this. As frustrated as it, I think it can be from a contractor standpoint, it's really being well received. I think they just have that attitude like, you know, changes changes part of the industry. It's been a big part of our industry for a long time. So I think it's just a matter of, okay, when does it go to effect? And do I need to start telling my store owners now that, hey, by the way, that equipment that we've been kind of limping along, it might be a good time to change that out, you know, in a couple of years when this refrigerator thing changed. Great point. I think that's a great way to wrap it up too, is just that as an industry, we do want to move forward. All we really want is some certainty though, I think, or that's at least a really important part of it is to have some certainty of moving forward. And if things change too frequently, then we're not going to get the traction we need because people are just going to kind of question, is this for real? Is it not for real? Like (laughs) what's going on here? And so heading into the next episode, our question that we're going to leave this episode off with is, are there state level requirements that affect me? And the short direct answer is yes, but tune in next time as we just pick into that some more and figure out which states have regulations and why. And Don, you mentioned the U.S. Climate Alliance, they're a huge part of that. Join us next time as we look into that. Don, I just want to thank you again for joining us today and for providing the perspective of how these regulations really impact the world we live in and the folks that take such good care of our air conditioning and commercial refrigeration equipment. Thanks for having me. Both of you, Lindsay, uh, Jennifer, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Looking forward to next time. Thanks again. Well, thank you, everyone. Yeah, we're so glad that you joined us, Don. We're excited that you're going to be coming back for the next episode. And with that, I will go ahead and close us out, HVACA listeners. So thanks for joining us again as well. Like we mentioned during the podcast episode, feel free to leave us a comment. Check out the page. As always, follow us at ac-heatingconnect.com or at Copeland Scroll on Facebook and Twitter. And when you're looking us up, leave us some ratings too. That helps us in the search findings and all of that good stuff. So thanks again, everyone. Until next time.